Welcome to Game Over Montreal. It is our usual state of affairs. We're covering a Montreal Canadiens loss, but it's the first of the season for one thing. The Montreal Canadiens actually scored more than two goals and lost a game. So they were undefeated when they scored more than two, no longer. And to help me break that down, I've got Gus Katsaros and Justin Bourne joining me. Let's welcome them in. How's it going, boys? Going good. I, um, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for you this season you know this this year as you know i started a, a toronto maple leaf show my first year doing something team specific and they started two four and one and i was like oh man this could be a lot of unfun um and you launched a show that is team specific and i there seems to be some stress involved yes uh we uh we lost gus there for a second so apologies to everyone for uh, i had to switch to the one guest plate so the Score is wrong for now. It's still set from the Predators game. And I'm not going to fix that live on stream. So we lost Gus. He's going to try to make it back in. He's having some internet issues. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting situation to launch a show where the team is not only bad, but not entertaining either. Yeah. And that's kind but of been... We're going to play out in playoffs for sure, but at least I get to fool fans for a bit. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's... uh. It's that kind of game, uh, unfortunate, but that's how they roll. Oh, Gus is back. We'll switch over to the proper template. There we go. Gus just wanted to be on the other side. That's all. <laughs> Positional switches. That's our yeah, favorite. Right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So it, it's like you kind of don't want to get caught up saying the same thing over and over again, right? Like that's what I'm trying to avoid as much as I can with the show is like trying not to hammer home the same thing too often, but it's just you end up getting stuck that about halfway through recapping a game, you're like, well, we got to talk about the future. Right. And at a certain point you got to look at the elephant in the room. And that's the fact that the general manager has an expiring contract at the end of the year, really whiffed on trying to capitalize on what happened last year. And you, you got to wonder after nine years, this is the 10th season with Mark Bergevin as general manager. What more, can the guy bring to the table, right? And I got some criticism between the last shows here. People saying like, oh, I'm only negative about Bergevin. But like, my point is always that he's mediocre. Not that he's the worst GM in the league. Is that the Canadians haven't been able to get over the hump of mediocre for going on 10 years here. So at a certain point, the standard has to be raised, right? You have to want more than that. Yeah, Gus, you want to fire away first? Uh, you know, I'll give you the honors. Uh, yeah. So we, we had, uh, PJ stock on our show uh, a week ago and PJ, I'm sure you guys know is not always the most positive about Canadians things. I think he's pretty honest in his assessment at times, sometimes, uh, maybe a little raw and you know, he, he is not a Bergevin guy. Um, you know, he kind of walked through all the contracts on the team and, you know, small overpays here, small overpays there, and puts you in a tough salary cap situation. The drafting and development hasn't been great. What is there, like three drafted and developed players or something on, on the Canadians roster? I, th I think most games this year there's been 
four, but they have gone down to three. But the thing is, even if there is four, the average across the league this year is like eight and a half. Yeah, and which is it. I mean, that's, you know, I, so I was with the Marlies and Gus knows all about that from 2015 to 17. And we would go in to play uh, the Habs farm team and St. John's then and Laval eventually. And I think of the players that we game plan to play and like the stars that they had coming, the big names like Michael McCarron and I don't know, kind of drawing a blank, man. Like yeah. it, it wasn't, uh, you know, so I, if there's any shortfall, a legitimate shortcoming, I, I guess I would point the finger there. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are pointing like somewhat correctly to like the prospects that they have in the system now and saying like, Oh, well that perspective is going to change over the next few years, but then like the story breaks this week that uh, Jordan Harris might not sign with the Montreal Canadiens at a college. He might decide that he wants to play in either Boston or New York, which is like devastating <laughs> for their defensive depth. And then they bring in Matthias Norlander this year. Give their the thought was to give him a cup of coffee in the NHL. And after one game of him playing third pairing minutes, Ducharme adds a seventh defenseman to the lineup plays him as a seventh defenseman, doesn't put him on the power play, instead opts for Ben Sherratt, and then next game he's scratched. So it's like, there's not much uh, look and see at the kids right now. Like, there's there's kids in the lineup, but it's not the guys that you want to see, like, excelling, right? Even, like, Pazetta, who I would say, like, you could argue took himself out of the lineup with his play falling off, and he took a lot of penalties. But, uh... I don't know. There just doesn't seem to be much faith in uh, the prospects. And I look at the lack of development over the last nine years. And even if some guys look good, like uh, Struble is also a defenseman who's like pretty well thought of. I don't have the confidence in this organization with the current management structure to develop those players anyway, because they have no history of it. So that's kind of the, the crux of the matter of where we are here, right? Like to Justin's point, we haven't seen a lot of development come, but I don't really think that that's the conversation. At this point, the conversation is what do we do from this point moving on? And I think that they're in a similar situation where they need, and I'm not saying a big name, but I'm saying a guy like Brendan Shanahan who came into Toronto. And instead of saying, okay, this is what we've done. We're going to build something in the background to make sure that we have a proper developmental uh, structure. We constantly have good players coming up through the system. Even if they're not star players, at least we're feeding our our, our main. Oh, we lost you there, Gus. We're having issues with Gus's internet situation here. We'll work through it, but I, I think you know what you know what scares me with the prospect talk. You know, before just to, to jump in on that is like every organization has them. You know, and, and your point about, um, you know, with Bergevin being me mediocre is that you need better than other organizations. Yes. So, you know, aspiring to be a team that has some prospects is not good enough either. And then I guess it's assessing, you know, what do you do with the rest of the season? And I actually, I am very excited to ask you this question, who I think you're the, the most, you know, you're the perfect person to ask it. What is the best case scenario from here until the end, until whatever it is, April 20th for the Montreal Canadiens this season. I genuinely don't know the answer. I, I think it starts with an overhaul from the top. I, I don't think that you can continue this season and go into next season with the same people in charge. I think you have to make that move as quickly as possible 
And it's not just about bringing in the next person. It's about bringing in a bunch of different voices and expanding your staff. Like I look at the Montreal Canadians compared to the Toronto Maple Leafs and like, yes, the Maple Leafs have more money, but it's not like the Canadians are cash poor. You know, like, I know the last couple of years have been tough for everyone, but of all the teams in the league, the fact that they have like two development coaches, I look at how like the, the Leafs brought in like Haley Wickenheiser. They have, uh, I'm blanking on the name now, but the skating coach that's specific to work on skating, they have Barb Underhill. That's the one, you know, they had a ton, like several skills coaches that had worked for the, for the Maple Leafs, like bring in people who will work with your players all the time. It doesn't have to just be the main NHL coaching staff and, or the AHL coaching staff that it's wild to me that the Canadians are one of the organizations with the wherewithal like the the money to do it but they're one of the organizations in the nhl that's kind of treats their prospect as their prospects as like sink or swim it's up to you and like that works with some guys like brennan gallagher yeah you can tell brennan gallagher at 19 years old sink or swim and he's gonna swim and he's gonna thrive that's fine but it doesn't work with alex galchenyuk's it doesn't work with you know maybe not cole caulfield you know he needs some more support you know matthias norlander all these guys, several guys that they've drafted in the past 10 years that have looked decent at the start and then fallen off drastically. You've got to support those guys and it's not going to be an overnight change, but I feel like there's no point in like just doggy paddling to the end of the season, hoping for draft picks when you could start changing things now with a look to like two, three years ahead. Yeah. Gus, do you want to jump back in on what you're saying there? Like a complete overhaul. Oh, I can't hear you, Gus. <laughs> okay, now we're better. Holy like Seriously, Montreal doesn't want me to get anything done today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was thinking that what Montreal really does need is a, a change in philosophy. So you bring in a guy like Brendan Shanahan that's able to put in programs in the background to be able to feed your team. What, you don't think Jeff Molson should be the president of hockey operations? (laughs) We're not going to get into that, but Mr. (laughs) Molson can go and have a beer. Let somebody else do it. That, And you know, this is a long-term process, and and unfortunately there's no quick turnaround. So the, the, the question doesn't become what does Montreal need to do is how much time is going to pass before they legitimately become um, a good enough team to just become a playoff contender. We're not even talking about Stanley Cup contender. Um, Can they do that in a quick turnaround time? Look at how long it took Shanahan to start enacting programs, put the proper guys into place, all of the stumbles along the way on the ice and off the ice. And we're looking at a handful of years. Perhaps we're getting into two handful of years. As long as there's an entertaining product going for those five years, then you can at least sell that to your fans. But if the product is what we're seeing now, it just becomes a sludge over and over and over. So are they really doing anything to develop any of these players, even at the NHL level, which you really shouldn't be doing in the first place? Cole Caulfield isn't getting a lot of support. There isn't a lot of stuff coming out of Nick Suzuki, although I, I like, I can understand the performance has been decent, but there could be more. And then we can kind of go through their prospects and, and what they currently have in their lineup. And it's just, it's a trial year on the ice. The frustration is going to be what you have to endure game in game out at this game over every single night. You're going to be saying, okay, we need an eye for the future. 
But that eye for the future begins with some leadership right on the background to be able to at least do the overhaul right, get it right from step one, and then hopefully build something better really, really fast. Yeah, I think that's like the big issue with the way that the last couple of years have gone really is like if COVID didn't happen, right? We're in essentially year five where the Canadians would have missed the playoffs. Five years in a row, which I don't believe has happened in how old is the franchise? 111 years old. Never happened. Right. So at the end of the day, like, yes, the Stanley Cup final run was very fun for everyone until the Stanley Cup final itself. And like, it's good to, I think it's good to have that experience for the kids, right? For, For the young players on that team, it was a big deal. But on the other hand, if they'd actually bottomed out the last two years, how much quicker would the turnaround be capable of being right with the right people in charge? So it's like they almost over the last five years didn't sink low enough to be able to get to a good point before like the end of Price's career, for example. Right. Cause like that's kind of the point that they're dealing with now is like they, they can't really trade price. The contract is terrible and the last couple of years haven't been very good. We'll see how he does this year now that he's healthy, but like they, they're not going to move past that. Even if they could, I don't think that they wanted Seattle to take that contract this year. I, I, I really don't. Yeah. I think that maybe if they did, they would have gone into a rebuild, but the, I believe the organization wants to compete while price is still there. And I understand the loyalty to a player like that, but I, I just don't think it's possible for them to turn things around enough in the time frame that he's still going to be good. If he's still good. Like I'm assuming that if he's, you know, healthy and he's got the substance abuse thing gone, that maybe things are a lot better for him this year, but you don't know, right? We don't know what's going to go on with the mid thirties goaltender. Yeah. You know what I, I get stuck on sometimes is like, you know, we always talk about these franchises that, that, you know, struggle a bit and we say, okay, you know, Brian Burke's thing on hockey central was, your team has to be going in one direction or the other fast. You're either getting better fast or you're getting bad fast. The thing with teams who get bad fast, is there like, is there much of a track record of teams really bottoming out, like selling off things and players and then turning it around quickly? I, I, I think of like the Oilers versus the Sabres uh, tankathon a few years back. I guess that have been the McDavid year or somewhere along there. Like both teams bottomed out and like Buffalo has been garbage since and Edmonton has been pretty bad since depending on how you sit, you know, this year they're having, they look a lot better this year, but that's a long, long time to be bad after you intentionally bottom out New Jersey intentionally bottomed out. They've been bad forever. Feels like it anyway. Like, I don't know. The Kings, I guess are in theory, turning it around. Like, you know, I don't know for the Canadians if the best thing is like, you strip it down, you sell everyone, you start, you know, like, cause Gus, your point, you're in a handful of years, you're in a second handful. Screw that. Man, I don't want to do that. I, like, there's got to be a, at least some sort of middle ground. I agree that not pushing for playoffs and spending future assets is probably the smart thing, you know, have an eye to the future. But like for the Canadians, I don't see a future where this gets better quickly by like purging them of every bit of talent they have. Yeah, I'd say like the only team that really rebounded quickly into like contender status was Toronto, right? They'd bottomed out for a couple of years and 
got really lucky with the Austin Matthews pick. Like you have, you have to be it in the right years. Fortune along the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah and like, exactly. I mean, Mitch Marner also big draft pick and like all their, they hit on their big ones, right? Like you have yeah. to be fortunate in that respect. And like, part of it is development and scouting and all that for sure. For sure. But not for those guys. But yeah, no, not, not in the top of the first round like that. I mean, there are still busts in the top of the first round sometimes, but you have to get lucky to get those picks in the right years when you have like depth that falls to you, everything needs to fall into place, but there are teams who have done it. I guess like you could say like the Rangers are getting close, even though it's not their young guys who are actually pushing that, yeah. you know, uh, the Kings. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's not could a we, lot of teams that use, have bounced back quick. Could we use Vegas as, as an example, like an expansion team that technically yeah, but, hit the ground really yeah, running. Yeah. But they, they don't have like anybody who's there drafted on their team anymore. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, does that early it's success just, like comes a price? Yep. You know, I just look at what Arizona's doing, where you just like go scorched earth mm. and get all mm. these picks and like look out, we're gonna turn around. It's like I haven't seen the track record of that panning out yet. Maybe it will this time, but I mean, at, for them, I would say like at least they're doing it at a good time. I think the top of the next two drafts are supposed to be pretty good, right? So yeah. they've got what eight top two or first and second round picks in this coming draft three in the first round five in the second like in theory that's amazing until you pull a boston and you blow three first rounders and all this you know it's like it's no promises that you get to pick high and you're gonna get great players you know that's why you really do need to put that stuff into place before you even start thinking about and that's tough to do because it takes a long long time to establish good programs yeah. like for instance I, I i'm not really convinced that montreal was trying to be competitive for carry price's sake i don't think that they were able to justify having a 10 million dollar contract sitting around while they tried to do something to better for the future and the optics of that situation has kind of handcuffed them for the last five years maybe and it's going to handcuff them for the next X number of years as long as Carey Price is there. So if they can somehow move past the fact that he makes a lot of money, but is not the Carey Price that he's going to be as a contender, um, then they can do this kind of a scorched earth. And perhaps even having a Carey Price there gives enough of a veteran presence to attract some free agents along the way, blah, blah, blah. We can kind of go into a very different direction. But when you're trying to accelerate a plan that, doesn't even exist at the moment. You have to think a little bit outside of the box. Yeah, the yeah, plan I, has to start. I guess the other thing is like if they're able to bottom out like this year without necessarily selling off a lot, like there are some players on this roster that are going to be very good in the next two to like two to five year window, right? Like I think there was a lot of people who were worried about Brennan Gallagher at the start of the season where like he was very clearly injured. His skating stride was very slow, especially like, like the first couple steps. You could tell he didn't have it last few games. He looks like Brennan Gallagher and tonight, like his line was the only line that was dangerous. They were really, really strong uh, all game long, turning Jake Evans into what <laughs> like a first line center, <laughs> like fourth line center in the playoffs, first line center in the regular season, apparently. But I think Gallagher, even though his his he's bound to get hurt as time goes on, I think that he's just got enough going for him that you can rely on that throughout the next four or five years. Yep. Uh, you know, Suzuki's there, Caulfield's there. So they've got some building blocks. I think the defense is very thin. They really need at least one of their defense prospects that are highly touted to not just hit, but be like 
Adam Fox good, which is probably extremely unlikely. You know, like they need well, that old caliber of player. Didn't look great tonight. I gotta be honest. No, At least no. What I saw. <laughs> no, nobody did, and that, that's the thing. Petrie, I mean, I think he's hurt too because he can't shoot, and there's probably some mental stuff going on too. And I'm sure Justin, you can speak to the fact like when you're on the struggle bus and things are going against you, and even when you do do something well, it ends up in the back of your net that it it's got to just drag on you mentally. Oh, it's devastating, devastating. You know, amidst all of whatever you think the Habs problems are this year, you know, them getting like sub 900 goaltending from the, the guys filling in and uh, from behind Jake Allen and Jake Allen not being, you know, league average. It's deflating when you're already feel like you're playing against tilted ice. And then a week one goes in, you know, tonight, just a couple of random goals. Obviously that's unfortunate, but I really believe in, uh, energy snowballs in seasons. Like a couple of good things are the first few games of the year to me are so important because if you, you know, you have some bad luck and you get guys nattering at each other and that negativity really feeds on itself. And then you hesitate a half second and another one goes in like the halves just seem to be like a, a step behind or, you know, hesitant, I guess, compared to, you know, even, early in the season. It just looks like it's catching up to the mentally. Yeah. That's a, something that I think about a lot is like, we talk a lot about like when you're talking about analytics about regression to the mean and for the most part, when a team is severely unlucky or like things are going against them or like there's maybe there's something, something more than luck, like just like the, the finishing is just not quite there. The execution yeah. is not quite there. Or like they're doing most things well, but like defensively, they've got one thing that just keeps burning them. And those teams for short periods, if everything goes against them, eventually it kind of rebounds. They figure something out. But I think when you have a team that even if the Canadians were playing well, which they're not, but they had a stretch where they were, if things keep going bad for long enough, I feel like you just, the players stop believing in what they're doing. Right. Yes. And then things like the wheels come off and like, yeah, you had good process and you were getting bad results anyway how can you motivate guys to stick with that process anyway for long enough to actually get the results? And I feel like that's the biggest challenge for teams like the Canadians who don't have the high end talent to just go out and turn a game around out of nowhere. This is what I think is one of the dangers this season. So what happens when the frustration kicks in? Um, I find that it leads to a lot more individualism. There's less cohesion amongst players. So they start to do, try to do things a little bit more. Josh Anderson always had a little bit of a touch of individualism, but now it's just like overflow. So he's trying to do everything and be everything. And that's admirable as a character trait, but that doesn't necessarily help this team. So once that starts to, like Justin says, like that kind of permeates into other players. And now you have Nick Suzuki doing a lot more individual items. Cole Caulfield saying, you know what, if I never get this puck back, I'm never going to take a shot. So I'm going to try to make a riskier play, do other things. And in the moment, it really doesn't matter. The, the overall effect is these negative traits, they become negative traits. They become ingrained in the player and you don't want that kind of stuff moving season to season. So it's very important for somebody that's watching this and saying somebody needs to address whatever it is that's starting to sink into the players. We know that it might be a lost season, but we still need cohesion systems play, be properly structured, make sure that the coaching staff is held accountable for those items and make sure that the players adhere to it. And you try to get the best effort out of them, but the situation is what the situation is. 
Yeah, that is the problem with bad luck. Like when you have some bad luck and you're your mediocre team or, you know, whatever you think the Habs true talent level is, I think the true talent level is not what their standings performance is. When you have some bad luck and, you know, guys start to believe the wrong things or, you know, sometimes I think, you know, the opposite happens in hockey where a coach has a bad idea and it works. Oh, often. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, And it's like, you know, though, so you're getting bad information back and making decisions off bad information. You know, the, the reverse happens too, where, you know, the, this luck has just been terrible on top of everything else. So you start to not believe in some things that will work and mm-hmm. uh, everything that can go wrong kind of has gone wrong for a group that I truly do not think is as bad as it's gone this season. Yeah, I feel like the Habs are currently experiencing one of those things, not even necessarily a coaching decision that's gone right but just like a bad read of something that's currently going on. Like I think Ben Sherratt this year, best hockey he's ever played. Uh, I really like the way that he's leaned into the offense. I think that when he plays more uh, challenging in the offensive zone, he's a better player because he's not that good defensively. Like as much as people love the big body in front of the net and he can clear pucks, like when he plays really physical in his own zone, I find he just ignores the puck and gets scored on like crazy. So I like the way that he's playing, but the fact that he's scored four goals all at even strength and the Canadians were like, well, let's put him on the power play, but he doesn't have the puck skills to do that. So you've got him out there with usually Jeff Petrie, who's really struggled this year on the power play and neither of them are making plays very well. And both of them are making bad reads. And neither of them, well, I guess Petrie can hold the blue line a lot better than Sherratt, but Sherratt has really struggled to hold the blue line. And I'm just like, this point where the season is as close as it gets to a lost cause without it being officially eliminated, right? Why don't you try something new? Why don't you run four forwards? Why don't you run five forwards? Which I know Sheldon Keefe has done. I know he did it in the American Hockey League and... Kyle Dubas was a little bit impatient with him at times, but he did it this year in Toronto too, didn't he? And they actually scored. Yeah. In OT, I think they, they at least did a four. Did they do five? Yeah. Maybe I, it was I just mean, four in OT. He's, he's open to it at least, you know, one thing that hockey coaches are so terrified of getting burned on is like, if you try something different from everyone else and it doesn't work, you might not get another job. You can do the same thing as everyone else and fail and you'll continue to get hired because everyone's like, Oh yeah, they kind of get it. They're a part of the circle of people yep. who do the, you know, they're the hive brain that we do. But like, I, I think that's the concern. Like if you're Kyle Dubas and you want to do something totally different with your team and then it doesn't work, do you ever get back in all pro sports are about at the management and coaching level is preserving your job and worrying yes. about the next one. That's it, right? That's the whole thing. There's no job stability, and everyone is con- so concerned with that. Uh, so everyone's just it's just job preservation, every man for himself. And a lot of that comes with pushing the concept of team while recognizing that helps you as an individual. And I feel like what general managers in Canada specifically should learn is uh, there's no such thing as lack of job security in the general man- manager position in Canada. Maybe maybe in Toronto, but every other franchise, very, very safe. Jim Benning, accomplished essentially nothing, been there forever. Mark Bergevin, one Miracle Cup run. All the other success that he's been, that he's had here has been at the very beginning of his 
tenure where he was kind of feasting off of what the other guys brought to the club. Uh, you know, Shevel Day off. Edmonton's fragile. Edmonton's a bit fragile. Edmonton's a bit fragile, but I mean, look how long Chiarelli got. They allowed him to sign a guy 30 hours before they fired him. That is wild. It's still one of the craziest things that's ever happened that I've witnessed. Like, <laughs> it's like that. And then the like, uh, Subban and Hall trades and Stamco signing within like an hour and a half. Those are like the two craziest days that I've seen on Twitter. Yeah. I so, go ahead, Gus. There's just one thing I wanted to uh, address. We talk about progressive and we try, we talk about trying something different. The Leafs ran the same power play for half a season last year and shit the bed. They yeah. did the same thing in the playoffs and shit the bed. So when you're playing percentages, because maybe that's the mindset that you're having, those are the results that you get. This year, they had to make wholesale changes to their whole process in order to become much more successful on the power play. And I'm only pinpointing that just because that's the one thing that we're talking about. So Montreal might be throwing out these same players over and over and over. So put the structure in place. If you're going to do the same thing with these kids, then they at least know what to kind of expect moving forward. Um, you can, and I think for the most part, structurally, especially uh, specifically for special teams, you could put any specific, you could put any specific set of players on the ice as long as there's a plan and a structure to execute that plan. They should be able to get some reasonable success. And for Montreal, they're just going through the motions here. So make sure that they just have the structure there, and hopefully that they can just make it through the rest of this season. This is uh, the tough part. of. How often has Montreal scored the first goal this season? I mean, I, I don't expect to know a number, but it's been pretty rare. It's been pretty rare. I mean, uh, like yeah, playoffs, I, I'd say maybe thing, a third right? of the time. Like in playoffs, that was the, the thing. They got yeah. out to leads. And, you know, I feel like they're comparable to the Calgary Flames in that if you give the Canadians a lead, I like their personnel. I like the way that, you know, some of the guys can, you know, play within a system and structured. And you guys saw it obviously for a Stanley cup run. They're, they're built that way. The flames this season, same way. I don't think of them as high flying offensive, whatever, but you give them a goal. All of a sudden they can, you know, they're, they don't force it. They're not rushed, whatever. I don't know if that's luck. I don't know if that's lack of preparation. I don't know what it is getting that first goal. But I just feel like this Habs team, that's one of those things that, like, I still don't mind that team. I know I know they're not in success. I know the D are not uh, up to par, and they got to do something different. But, like, there's enough players here that, you know, you think you get up in a few games and win a couple, uh, a few more anyway. I don't think it's, as, as I said, as bad as it looks. Yeah, I think the issue with, like, that strategy, and they definitely tried to, like, rebuy into that strategy in the offseason based on their acquisitions. Like, David Savard was a big one, right? is they kind of lost some of their best stoppers, right? Like Phil Deneau was so important to that strategy. Yeah. Like no matter how chaotic a game was getting, whether it was Julian or Ducharme or Richardson in the playoffs, you could throw out the Deneau line and it's like everything calms down. <laughs> you know, like the, the best they player on the other team. recognize that. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, just looking statistically, I mean, you guys know over and over, like that line was like the best line or one of the best few lines in hockey for years. Yep, for three years they were like presumably they first knew, or second, right? Like presumably they have a stats department. They, they, they had to know. I mean, I think right. that they were right to walk to let Tatar walk. It was like yeah. it was the right time, but I mean, I'm if they would have managed to ke- like keep Dano, 
I feel like this season would be a lot different. And it's it's speculative, obviously. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, I actually wanted to ask a more random question of you, Justin, just to lean on your pro hockey experience a little bit. I was thinking about this coming into the game, that uh, the Canadians got spanked by the Penguins. They had a big comeback game, one big, uh, almost lost it against Nashville in the third period, allowing three straight to Shane goals. But I wonder, having the three days off between the win and then today, when you're a guy in that room, would you rather be playing like every other night and can just keep on going, kind of keep the rhythm, or are the breaks nicer because you get to rest your body a little bit? Yeah, you know, I think this is probably a very personality-specific question. So if it's me and I'm on a team that's, five and 12 or whatever the record is at that time, you get a win like that. It is so miserable going to the rink after a loss. I would be so grateful to be the Canadians to have a few days to enjoy the win, like to go to the rink and get to laugh. Like I had a bit of a reputation uh, as a guy who didn't take things seriously enough. Uh, you know, I used to get called into the coach's office with that sort of, uh, you know, it, commentary from coaches about this, you know, what am I laughing for? We lost last night or, you know, it, it was like a real thing with me in that. I don't know. I guess I wasn't serious enough, but like, so for these, these guys to get a win and have a few days, I think I would enjoy that. And that would be my personal preference. But if you're dead serious about returning the season around, yeah, you'd want to stay at it, get back, you know, stay in the rhythm, win a couple of hockey games while the mojo's going. But yeah, I, I guess I'm speaking for myself when I'd say I'll take the break. <laughs> yeah, I, as a I would, non-hockey guy with a bad back, I'd take the break too. Yeah, I was gonna. <laughs> you know what? I feel that on a, a very personal level as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I always wonder about like, because like you said, it's very personality specific. I wonder about how guys like handle the rigors of a season and what they'd rather it be like. And I, I'm sure when you're losing every game, you don't <laughs> don't want to go back to the rink every day. But, well, uh, you know, I actually did a little thing for Hockey Central on, um, you know, the the concept of, of having a break. Well, you know, similar to what we're discussing here. And it was mostly around like Pedersen and, and the start of his season. And like, you know, when you when it's going bad like that, you feel like as a player, you're like, I just don't want to be at the rink. I just need time away. I need to like collect my thoughts and not do hockey. But the reality is it's so much better for you to immerse yourself in it and go to work and get in the gym and watch the video because it builds confidence that you're prepared and you feel like, uh, I, I think a mental sharpness and as much as you feel like you want to get away, sometimes the best thing you can do is just lean into it and do the work. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, I, I feel like there's also team activities help too, right? Like having a little bit of fun. There was uh, it obviously didn't help for this game, but there was like the Canadians posted. They had a shootout practice and, they were all like yeah. lined up along the sides and guys were having fun. And I feel like it's kind of nice to see that for fans as well, that they're not dwelling too much every second of every day right. because that's just a depressing existence. And this se beginning of this season is I think worse than anybody thought was going to happen. Like, I mean, I guess the Vancouver Canucks can identify with this as well, but uh, it, it's, it's hard to find the positives. I think that, uh, you know, Cole Caulfield getting his first one is positive. Zeta, yeah, I I, we were joking uh, earlier in the in the season because he's taken so many penalties, so many penalties, 
And some of them are just like, get out of here, Rook, you know, like getting involved yeah. in the scrum and they take him every time. But I was like, for him, I think he needs to cut his hair because it's <laughs> so easy to spot him in a scrum and the refs are like, get out of here, you dumb rookie, you know, like cut your hair <laughs> so that they have to actually look at your number and they might take somebody yeah. else before they realize that you're the rookie. I think you're onto something. But Seta in Greek actually means towel. So if he drapes himself over everybody, you got your jokes right. They just kind of write themselves. <laughs> well, it looks like he's got a towel flowing out the back of his bucket. Yeah, right seriously. That's like Sammy Niku, man. Sammy Niku with that flow. Wow. You can know. Yeah. He's in the corner. Yeah. No, yeah. that's him. Yeah. It's too yeah, bad that Jonathan Drew and cut his because they could be team flow at the very <laughs> least this year. Yeah. By the way, every time, uh, pretty much every Habs game that passes, someone sends a tweet to me. I tweeted that Cole Caulfield was going to get 35 to 40 this year uh, after watching him in playoffs last year. And I get it sent to me like every day. It's uh, I just cannot fathom how upset people in Toronto land were that I thought Caulfield was the, the superstar, but I, I would just like to double down on that. Not saying he's going to get 35 to 40 <laughs> this year, but he still has a season like that in the NHL or a few of them. Uh, you know, everyone turns way too quick on this stuff. It's been 20 games of the year. He's still such a talent. Yeah, he absolutely is. And I actually, the, the Caulfield discourse is so weird on Twitter. I don't know where it's coming from, but I, I, I mean, Leafs Twitter is for some reason, oddly sensitive that people seem to be high on Caulfield. They're just for like, sure. oh, like really, fun. really up in arms about it. And then there was the whole like uh, bullying thing in the American Hockey League where one of the teams tweeted yeah. like, where are you Caulfield? And his dad yeah. got upset and it's like, what is going on here? And then you have like a, people going crazy on him talking about how he's like a bust on online. I'm like, guys, it's, he's barely played a cup of coffee in the NHL still. Like I gotta say, I did not see Cole, Cole Caulfield's dad is mad at the Utica Comets social media team as a headline. If you have that on your bingo card, like automatic win right there. (laughs) It's very odd. I, I do think, I mean, maybe Gus, you can weigh in on this. I wonder if the Canadians need to move away from Suzuki Caulfield. And I know that he scored with Suzuki tonight, although oddly enough, it was with a, a rare shift where Jonathan Duran was on that line instead of Tyler Toffoli. But they really liked that line that did well in the playoffs. It was Toffoli, uh, Caulfield, Suzuki. But they don't seem to have a lot of chemistry at five on five. I think that they had like t- uh, Suzuki and Caulfield work great together four on four or three on three in overtime. But I think that Suzuki needs somebody like Gallagher to muck it up a little bit and get some different looks. Because to me, if they're not generating off the rush, they don't accomplish a lot at even strength. And Canadians have been a terrible rush team. Well, this kind of goes right back to the playoffs and what actually made both those players a little bit more successful. Caulfield goes into a situation where Montreal is turtling. They play this nice little shell game. And then in the transition, you have this kid that just creates chaos on the on the other side. And that's what Montreal did to Toronto after game three. They did it to Winnipeg. They did it to blah, 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 all the way down the line. So I think a lot of the success that they had, both individually and as a pairing, came from that rush chance that you discuss um and it all has to do with the way that they approached their games in the playoffs Montreal's not playing that very same style this year and now you see the difference between how they need to do other things in order to create scoring rather than rely on the turtling and the quick transition and chaos on the other end so I think 
I think over the long run, it's best to keep them together. And I, I think that's only because Suzuki and Caulfield are supposed to be cornerstones of this franchise, regardless of whether or not they tear it down, whatever direction that they take. So I think the more time that they play with each other, work through the frustrations and sharpen off all those rough edges, um, you'll see a much better product going into the future. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and that's a great insight, honestly, the, the, why they were able to generate so well off the rush is they were capitalizing on mistakes of teams that were pressing. Right. And I remember the sport logic stats in playoffs last year. They, they were scoring, like, I don't know, the most goals in 10 seconds off a transition or something. It was a uh, there you go. Yep. It, yeah. it was getting the hits back and there's not really much opportunity when you're down five, nothing, almost every single game for capitalizing on a team that's pressing. They haven't had to press, right? Like yeah. they, the Canadians just have not had to defend a lot of leads this year. Uh, even in like in the games they've won, for the most part, they've won big. There have been kind of like blowouts, right? They haven't had very many close win games. It's a weird start to the season. I think this is only the sixth game they've scored more than two goals. First loss with more than two goals, which is kind of funny. And I, I believe this is probably over half of their games they've allowed more than four goals. I wonder if there's a world where, like, let's say they did the whole Bergevin thing. They got rid of him, made made a couple of major changes, like Carey Price comes back. They get a little confident, you know, score first in a few games and all of a sudden start feeling themselves a little bit. Oh, if they could not make playoffs, not make playoffs, but, like, do just enough to talk you into them again. Yeah, Which, I mean, I think that's the worst-case scenario, right? Because that Christian Dvorak trade actually – like they owe the the highest pick of their two first round picks unless it's in the top 10. So if they finish right. outside of the top 10 in the draft, they lose their highest pick and the other first round pick they have is from Carolina who are leading the league. So if they miss the playoffs and get like the 30th or 31st pick in a season where they've been this bad, that's that's very Montreal Canadiens, and it would be very unfortunate. Um, before we close things off, I wanted to ask a non-Montreal Canadiens question. It's more to do with what I'm looking at with the Islanders right now, because, Justin, I can't have you on and not talk about the Islanders a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we all know Barry Trotz is one of the best coaches in the league, probably one of the best coaches in history, right? But from the underlying numbers to the results, and big caveat for how they had to start the season 13 games in a row on the road, the Islanders are not playing well this year and there haven't been that many upsets to the roster uh, like turnover wise. I know they're dealing with a bout of COVID right now, which is really wrecking them. But is there a situation where a coach can be legitimately great, but it's just time moves and the message like no longer gets through, even though the message is consistent and they've had success with it? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. One that general managers have to ask themselves, like, can a coach get fired while doing nothing wrong? Like the message just expire. You know, the, the Islanders are in a similar boat in, with Montreal in one way in that they took their lessons from postseason last year and maybe kind of doubled down on some of the wrong things. Like they were like, hey, you know what? We got Paul Mary in there and, you know, we brought some older guys in that really look good. What if we added Chara and Zach Parisi, you know, it's like, wait, you only have so many of those guys, you know, it's not, uh, not the best. And then I do feel like they're a team who 
sometimes the process was good and they got bad results um, in the early going. And then, yeah, you're, you're on a road trip. You finally get to go home and the team is like racked with COVID and, you know, guys are injured. And so like, it's kind of been bad luck on bad results, you know, along the way. And so, yeah, Barry Trotz can be, you know, God, he is one of the best, you know, Herb Brooks or wherever you think is the best Scotty Bowman. Mm-hmm. You can only do so much. I, I often ask people, how many wins and losses do you think a coach can influence a roster? Like, can the best coach in the league go in and, and take the Coyotes to playoffs? No, they can't. No. Like, that's – I think the best coach in the league can swing a team five or six wins. Either direction, which is a huge effing swing. Yeah. You know, like, if you, you know, five, six wins this way versus five, six this way for a bad coach, talking about a dozen wins over the course of the seasons, like, like what value is that in one person? So – but again, we're only talking about five or six wins. So Barry Trotz is taking a team right now that I don't think they have a fair chance to win hockey games. And, you know, you probably don't want to fire a guy like that. And I know that that's not what you're saying about Trotz, but I think it does happen to coaches where they do nothing wrong and they just have been dealt a roster in a situation too bad. I mean, I think we saw that with Claude Julian just last year where, you know, Carey Price wasn't stopping pucks. That was the biggest thing that was wrong last year, aside from the special teams, which has have been awful and continue to be awful. Uh, the Canadians are on a run right now. I think they've allowed four power play goals in their last five penalties. It's, uh, it's impressively bad. <laughs> it's the legit Whoa. flip from NHL average. Average is about 80% PK. They're like 80% for the other team. 80%. Yeah, yeah. That's not great. So it happens. Yeah. What a great season pretty rough but uh, i want to thank you guys for joining me tonight really enjoyed chatting with you uh before i let you go uh first justin and then gus tell us what you got going on where can people find you uh yeah real i know this is not the place to plug real kipper and born three to five which is the leaf show but um my my, my writing's up on sportsnet.ca i got a flames article there so you can check that out at gt born on twitter perfect I love that uh, Flames article, which, again, from a strategic element, really showed just how much the NHL, I'm not going to say changing, this is another topic for another time, but the way that they've adopted that five-man unit and try to rush and and rather than try to stretch out, that's a phenomenal ideology. The Hitchcock quotes in there, I I thought that was good stuff from him, so Mm. thanks, Gus. and I, I do a weekly article on NBC Sports Edge, and I just do a lot of data vis, uh, vis and, and support stuff uh, for McKean's Hockey, and that's where we are. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. And uh, I guess the Canadians are back at it on Friday, so we'll see you then.